Welcome to Future Focus, the UK at Expo podcast series, where throughout the world's greatest show at Expo 2020 Dubai, we'll be celebrating the best of the UK's creativity, innovation and culture, with special guests offering exclusive insight into ways we can innovate for a shared future. In this episode, host Hannah Austin talks to Tracy Harwood, Professor of Digital Culture at De Montfort University and host of And Now for Something Completely Machinima, a podcast focused around virtual production and machine cinema. They discuss, among many topics, the role, impact and application of emerging technologies such as virtual and augmented reality in public environments. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the How Will We Create series of the Future Focus UK at Expo podcast. I'm Hannah Austin from the Department for International Trade. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Professor Tracy Harwood, Professor of Digital Culture at De Montfort University. Tracy's research focuses on everything from technological innovation to art, gaming to performance, as well as the application of emerging technologies in public environments. Welcome, Tracy, and thank you for joining us today. You're very welcome. It's nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Could you start by telling us a bit more about your background and your career history, so how you came to specialise in digital culture? Sure. Well, my PhD actually um, was uh, originally in negotiation behaviour. And I used, when I was doing my PhD research, which would be 20 odd years ago now, an early form of automated content analysis, which I used to analyze relationships between uh, businesses to look at how they developed. And prior to that, um, my degree was in marketing and computer science. So I have a kind of a mixed bag of uh, interests in, in uh, you know, way back in my history. Um, my research nowadays, of course, is, is very much transdisciplinary. So the focus of what I have been doing really is looking particularly at business and customer behavior and thinking about how computer science is brought to bear on that, drawing primarily on the mixed methods research approaches that I um, developed when I was um, looking at my PhD way back when. Currently, what I'm doing is uh, researching mainly into the roles of uh, 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 roles and impacts of emerging technologies and applications, as you mentioned, such as gamification, the Internet of Things, uh, virtual and augmented reality, mixed reality, uh, and user experiences. I'm also looking at things like cyborgism and machine cinema and virtual production. And I'm also currently writing a book on the roles of creative, uh, creative technologies in our cities, which will be published uh, late next year for the Springer series on cultural computing. And alongside that, I host an international podcast on machine cinema and virtual production, which is called And Now for Something Completely Machinima. And I am also director of the Art AI Festival, which um, is taking place in Leicester at the moment, uh, has been running since May. And over the next few months includes artworks that we will be co-located at the Dubai Expo. Just a few things then, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to dabble with things. <laughs> Absolutely. And I've seen some of the artwork that's just been installed at the UK Pavilion at the Dubai Expo, and it looks fantastic. I can't wait for the general public to to see that and enjoy that. 
Um, you mentioned lots of interesting things there. I mean, augmented reality, we've got some of that showcased at the UK Pavilion as well. Um, so what do you consider to be the biggest developments in creative technologies in recent years? Well, I think the role of, of AI in, in creative practice is a very interesting uh, development. It, it's what led us to develop the Art AI Festival, actually. And, I, and I'm fascinated to see the various ways in which AI, AI is brought to bear in creative practice. I mean, I'm not myself a creative practitioner, but I'm fascinated by how creative practice informs future innovations, basically. Um, so yes, I, that, you know, the Art AI Festival for me is one of the most interesting projects that I've worked on over the few, last few years, I think. And that, that relationship between art and AI and art and data, what, what is that relationship? What does it mean to kind of Joe Public? How would we understand it? You know, you, you can now use anything from numbers to text to images to light, contrast, shape or design or point clouds or sound waves or, you know, movement in multiple di uh, dimensional space, uh, including um, time. Um, uh, and, you know, from those data sets, uh, you know, you can detect patterns and extrapolate those to produce outputs using rules um, about how to use the data through uh, through which original data sets were constructed or combine different types of data sets and rules to produce something else. So AI can really be used in, in pretty much any creative practice that you'd kind of like to think about. I mean, for example, earlier this year, OpenAI released something called DALI, which was a, a combination of, um, you know, how they got their name, combination of Salvatore Dali and Disney's Wall-E, um, which is a, a fascinating web-based tool where using text, you can ask the algorithm to generate a series of images such as an avocado chair or a climbing tree or a close-up of a, a capybara in a field or anything else you'd like to see visualized simply by writing it a text message. So, you know, I think one of the most familiar and sophisticated uses of AI uh, at the moment is in computer games where it's often used to generate um, adaptive, intelligent behavior or responsive behaviors in what we call NPCs or non-player characters. So it gives you the experience of being in the game with others where whether or not it, it's it's just you in there. I think in the past that's that's mostly been about short bits of narrative, but more recently games are looking at, at significantly extending that kind of narrative and the way that you can uh, uh, interact with those characters and the way that they behave visually. And it can be pretty much infinite. Um, so the content, you know, can spawn interactively as you move through the environment and follows whatever rules there are in that kind of virtual space. And I think really what I like about the computer game example is that as a player, you don't need to know about AI to actively enjoy the experience, which means you can also be creative with generated content captured in the gameplay and in the same way we can look at many creative applications of AI and appreciate the creative form without necessarily understanding too much of the AI, albeit that much artwork tends to be passive in the way that we engage audiences. In terms of our understanding, I think sometimes we do need to understand the, the creative application. Um, that you know there are there are there are many creative AI artists who are actually technicians and engineers before they are, are artists, which sometimes makes it hard to be an uninformed viewer because, you know, the executions um, may 
derive familiar works, but the processes are unfamiliar to us and we don't therefore understand or appreciate what creativity is in the context in which we see it. That's fine to a point, but not when we misinterpret or misuse the the outputs, which is where bias or misrepresentation becomes a problem in in that wider application of, of AIs. Or, you know, by way of another example, where companies attempt to lock down or use our computer, uh, our, our use of those computer games as a, as a creative tool set derived from our own play, when the computer, um, you know, when, when they provide us with the computer code, but it's our play that generates the actual um, experience and the content. Does that answer? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. And it's it's really made me think about that level of human interaction uh, with with the data or with the artwork. So, for example, if we take the the piece that's currently being showcased in the U- showcased in the UK Pavilion, when you walk past one of the pieces, it moves, yeah. and yes. that immediately attracts your attention, and you kind of then have to engage with it as as a person, otherwise just walking down a corridor. So, how important is that human interaction? with the data or or with the kind of the algorithm and the technology? I think it depends what the artist is trying to achieve. And in that particular case, what's being picked up there is simply movement. It's not the the person as such, but it's the movement in front of the camera that's triggering the way the artwork um, learns about its environment. And, you know, the, the, it'll, it'll change color. It'll um, add different images. It'll, it'll learn over a period of time. And, and all of that is an artistic choice by the creator, who's Ernest Edmonds. And that's really about him taking the tools and creating some aesthetic form that, that is, is about his creative practice and providing something that an audience can find interesting uh, to engage with. The fact is that that is co-located in Leicester. And in actual fact, so the artwork itself is called Cities Tango. And when you're in Dubai, what you see is uh, what's going on in Leicester. And when you're in Leicester, you see what's going on in Dubai. So the interactivity there isn't just about you standing in front of that artwork, but it's also about what's going on in the other city as well, which I think is a fascinating way to showcase each venue, if you like, for one one thing, but also to, you know, engage with audiences over different time zones in different cities, in different spaces, with different experiences. Um, so yeah, that's a, that particular piece is a fascinating piece, I think. Are there any other kind of exciting examples that you're seeing that, that really have that collision between technology and art? I guess there's loads coming out of the Art and AI Festival that you could mention. Absolutely, yeah. Give us a few of your favorites, go on. <laughs> Well, okay. My my favourite this year, I have to say, is has been Master Reality, which we've shown in one of the shopping centres here in Leicester as part of the Art AI Festival. And it's you know what it what it's been doing is using points of reference on your face with a Keralan Indian Keralan mask, and uh, there are two different representations of. Uh, of the mask and one may be female one may be male Um, but as you engage with the artwork it's uncannily follows you around and it's not quite you but there's shades of you in it and I I think it's a fascinating example of the way that facial recognition can be used in creative practice and um, 
you know, the, in, in, in ways that the, the artwork can interact with you as well. Producing something that is almost familiar, but not. So yes, that one's been one of my favourites, actually. The other example is uh, Craig Veer's fully autonomous robot called Emma. This is an AI that has been trained on jazz, improv jazz samples. You know, what he did was um, performed with the, the AI and the, and the robot, which obviously, you know, comprises the engineered form as well as the, the algorithm, the, the, the robot itself was nodding away as if it was performing an improv performance, which, which of course it was through, through the AI and um, Craig Veer, its creator, was performing with it, which was, a, you know, fascinating to sort of see this embodied robot performing um, a musical composition of its own. <laughs> so yes, there are there are many different examples of you know creative applications. I think absolutely, and I think both of those examples. I mean, people seeing some of their face reflected back to them in a piece of artwork, and people enjoying music as well. They're kind of really accessible ways to kind of engage with the AI side of things. So I guess, do you believe art's the best way to make AI really accessible to the general public? Without a doubt, I, I, I definitely do. I mean, that's where the Art AI Festival came from. Although, to be fair, it was actually quite a hard sell when we first started uh, talking about whether or not we could uh, do this as a, as a large public engagement event. And it, and it kind of came about almost serendipitously, actually, because it was a conversation that I had with um, an independent curator called Luba Elliott. Now, Luba lives in Leicester. Obviously, I'm based in Leicester. And you know, we, we were talking about how we could potentially uh, collaborate. So we sort of chatted about this festival idea. And at the time, I was keen that what we um, wanted, what we would, would try to do was respond to what the government uh, was then asking organisations to think about, which was to sort of make uh, the discussion about AIs more accessible for a general public audience. And it's, you know, it's really hard to get a public audience into a university auditorium where you can just sort of present latest research. So what we did was we brought in partners. We brought in Phoenix Arts Centre and High Cross Shopping Centre. And uh, we, you know, um, collaborated to showcase AIs to citizens in ways that demystify some of the hype about their capabilities, but also celebrates some of the incredible creative talent that's pushing the boundaries with AIs too. Now, I've actually been talking about this for for quite some time. I'd been researching things like the Internet of Things and gamification for a few years um, with a colleague, Tony Gary, in, in Otago in New Zealand for um, several, well, 10 years or more, actually, um, looking at how future techs might, might realise new kinds of services. Um, although the vision that I had was, was that really for it to work, you can only, you know, you, you need m more people to engage with um, technologies online. So actually the, the pandemic was a little bit of an opportunity for some of the work that I, I've been doing. But anyway, we, we launched the Art AI Festival in, in 2018. I'd actually applied for some funding from the Arts Council, but was unsuccessful primarily because what we wanted to do was with a category of technologies that they didn't understand at the time. And instead, De Montford uh, gave us some seed corn funding. And then a colleague who is also showcasing at the Expo Fabrizio Poltronieri, he's a creative technologies artist. And I've managed to persuade him 
to create for us a, a piece that was loosely based on a work that he'd shown at Arts Electronica in, in Linz in Austria, which resulted us in us putting on or putting in into the High Cross Shopping Centre this live AI that generated poetry from people sending it messages um, through social media. And then Luba brought in a couple of other amazing artists. So we had Pinar Yoldis with her Kitty AI video artwork, which was where the kitty was represented as the first non-human governor in, in the world. And um, a lady called Anna Fuste, who was a research scientist at MIT working on a Google Arts project to, to run some kids' workshops for us. And we also showcased this amazing live performance by this startup comedy improv team called Improbotics. And I think really to our astonishment, we had a huge amount of engagement with that event, which only ran for two weeks. We had over 600,000 tracked footfall and capped off the year by winning an innovation award. So we went from that to an Arts Council grant the following year, bringing in many more artists. So we brought in um, Jean Cogan, Sophia Crespo, Libby Heaney, Nadine Lessio and Mario Klingerman, who actually um, just a month before we opened had sold one of his pieces at Sotheby's for £40,000, which was only the second time a creative AI piece had made the auction houses sing. We also brought back Improbotics, whose act was kind of going from strength to strength. Um, we brought on more venues and, uh, you know, for a two weeks run, uh, we had two shopping centres, a theatre, uh, which sadly became one of the first victims in the pandemic. The Central Library um, also hosted some work, as did Phoenix. And I also wanted to have a chance to see how older people might react to AI created artwork as well. So we also collaborated with the local outpatients dementia ward at the hospital, which serendipitously also resulted in us um, exploring how creative AI might be used to support people with dementia. And that's a, a, an ongoing collaboration with Professor Elizabeth Maktova Ladinska, who's chair of old age psychiatry at the University of Leicester, who was also practicing or is also practicing clinician specializing in dementia at Leicester General Hospital. And then last year, 2020, um, before COVID really struck, we managed to secure a much larger Arts Council grant, um, along with some funding from the university, the City Council and Phoenix, and lots of in-kind support um, from venues, plus uh, many more artists, alongside which I was invited to showcase some of the work at the expo. And of course, you know, COVID has uh, taken us all back a significant um, amount of time. So, you know, put us back a year. But in in the end, what it's done is presented us with a, a really interesting opportunity because uh, in order to try and help the city recover a little bit, we put, up, put together a 10-month-long programme which began in May, where originally we were only going to run uh, in six weeks in October, plus over the, the the period of time for the expo. So, you know, this really has given us an opportunity to generate much more PR and promotion for this extended period of time. And again, what we wanted to do this time around was be more thematic with the artworks because, you know, the creative practice is expanding kind of exponentially than, than we had done in the previous year. Um, so we demonstrate or we try to demonstrate things such as chatbots, deep fakes, facial recognition, as well as these kind of generative processes 
using images to create patterns and some interactive work and some not and some generative and some being performative and video art pieces. And as I said, you know, you can see a couple of those at the expo. We've got Ernest Edmonds and Fabrizio Poltronieri with City's Tango and Fabrizio's piece is called Architonic, which is a piece that mixes the building aesthetic from Dubai with the building aesthetic from Leicester uh, and combines an imaginary city in the, in the process, which I also think is a fascinating piece. Not interactive, but a fascinating live AI recombining um, these data sets into something new each, each um, iteration that you see on the screen. And what I particularly like about uh, the opportunity to show Ernest's work, I mean, uh, Ernest is, is actually um, a pioneer in digital arts uh, and was, was one of the, the main founders of the, the movement back in the 1960s. And he has a, a great connection to Leicester, having studied at the, the Polytechnic, which is what De Montfort was known as before it became a university. And he's very recently, I think um, 2017, if I'm correct, won two Lifetime Achievement Awards for his contribution to computer science and arts in two different disciplines, um, which is actually phenomenal and an incredible inspiration for transdisciplinary researchers such as me. And Fabrizio, of course, we've, we've shown his work before with the with the, um, uh, the love apparatus, as it was called, which we put in the shopping centre uh, in 2018. Um, and, I, and I'm really pleased to say both of those are, are colleagues at the Institute of Creative Technologies, where I'm uh, Deputy Director. Tell me more about the work that's going on in Leicester. How can people, if people are listening from the UK, how can they get involved in the festival? How can they visit? Well, just hop on a on a train or a bus or in your car and just come along and have a look. We've got, a, obviously, a website you can check things out on as well. We have a live streamed uh, talk with both artists that will be taking place on the 13th of October and that will be recorded and you can check out that and all the other recordings from the Art AI Festival on our YouTube channel. But yeah, I mean, we would, we would love to see you in Leicester. Just come along and have a look at the work. We have a surprise piece coming to Leicester, actually, um, which we will be running um, towards the end of October, uh, which involves a culture, a, a bacterial culture, uh, and an AI tracking what the bacterial culture is, is doing that will be running in the university's innovation centre as well. Um, so we're just about to add that to the, to the website, and that's another piece that you can see if you're coming to the city to have a look at what we're doing. Wow, what a fascinating link to kind of health and, and everything that's been going on in the past kind of 18 months with, with COVID and the pandemic. And um, for people to be able to kind of watch that or engage with that sounds fascinating. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I, I think health is one of the, the, you know, the great breakthrough areas in the use of, um, of AI. But also, you know, some of, the, some of the questions that kind of arise around whether a machine can actually be creative is also quite an interesting uh, question that we've been asking the artists. And, um, you know, I've kind of come to the conclusion, really, that it depends on how you might define what you mean by creativity. Um, and, and I don't think that's straightforward to answer it, actually. I think one of the one of the, the great challenges is actually trying to unpick what we mean 
by creativity. Um, and quite frankly, I think we, we barely do it for humans, let alone think about what it means for machines. Um, uh, and, you know, to sort of extend that point, really, I mean, we talk about creativity as being a result of craft, um, skill or knowledge and, and context, um, something new and innovative. But usually we can only that can only really be thought about in terms of the person engaging with the creative practice. Um, how can somebody, um, how, you know, how can someone possibly know all other things to be able to say with certainty that anything that they produce uh, from their creative practice is entirely new? And I, and I think that's a really kind of interesting area because they simply cannot. Um, so, you know, creativity is an interesting uh, area to sort of explore with with AI. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking on as part of the UK government's uh, events at World Expo, we are asking the question in the future, how will we create and kind of trying to go beyond traditional ways in which people view creativity and into the future. So yeah, I would love to hear more around that. Most of the artists that we're talking to think about creativity as being something that's that's kind of contextually surprising, um, which has some value to them and others as a consequence of being of value to them. Um, and we can see how AIs can be used in that kind of way to produce something that is surprising within the context of the data sets that, that it's using at, a, at a, a point in time. So what we see is this idea of combinatorial creativity being the result of combining data in unexpected ways to, to produce something new, say a new kind of poem, um, which, for example, is a kind of thing that emerged from Fabrizio's Love Apparatus installation that we did in 2018, or from Ez Devlin's LED screens on the UK pavilion itself at the Expo. Or, um, for example, in a music context, say from Craig Veer's improv jazz performance with his um, fully autonomous robot, Emma, um, that we showcased uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then there's also this idea of exploratory creativity, where AI is, say, using the style of one thing and applying it to another thing. And there's been a lot of interest, for example, in Alex Morvince's um, Deep Dream algorithm. We've, we've just been showing um, Alex's Hexels, um, which is a, another type of algorithm as part of the Art AI Festival this year. Um, but the Deep Dream algorithm over the last few years um, which kind of exacerbated patterns from images to create these kind of dreamlike psychedelic outputs of images is, is really quite fascinating. And then also uh, Leon Gatiss and his colleagues style transfer based algorithm where we've seen, say, the style of Van Gogh paintings um, being applied to other types of images. And that's led to various kinds of apps where, um uh, which we've seen the, the public engaging with um, creative AI, AI in a way that they've never really seen before. And all of that said, I think many of the artists that I've talked to tend to see AIs as part of their tool set, not the, the creator necessarily. Um, but they are nonetheless collaboratively working with the AI to produce novel ideas, which they then select according to their own aesthetic preferences. Uh, and some have argued that what AI is really helping them to do is shortcut the time it takes them to create on their own or assimilate data, which they could never do on their own. Um, and as 
the development of AI stands at the moment, I think that's probably the best way to, to look at it. Uh, I think once you can distill creativity down to some replicable components, um, say craft, skill, knowledge, context, whichever, um, which, an, which an AI or multiple AIs can be trained to do, then you'll probably have a case for arguing that AI can be creative on its own. And that's where we've seen interest grow in what DeepMind achieved with its AI that produced a totally unexpected move in the Chinese game of Go, um, which had been trained to learn from failure rather than success. And it, it's really an example of what we call transformational creativity, where a set of rules constrain what can be achieved. And of course, we may also be talking here about a, a general intelligence form, which we know to be potentially many, many years away from realisation. And craft and skill are, are kind of worth reflecting on a little bit because um, it's about learning and muscle memory in human where we barely understand this at present. So knowledge, we assume, is about information and natural language processing and context is about situational awareness. But we barely understand what that means, too. So, you know, a question might be what what uh, what is an emotion, um, for example, and what we know is that it isn't just facial expression. Um, and these are huge problems to solve with AI, which is fundamentally about mathematics and coding and also requires huge amounts of data and processing capability. And frankly, we will come to a, a point uh, at which computers as we know them will not be able to process all that's required. And that's a capacity, a speed and efficiency issue, I think. And of course, if we're also talking about the relationship between the human and the computer, then the problem is a lot simpler. We are very easily fooled, or at least our human psychophysical complexity fills in the gaps that the computer cannot. Um, and so we read as much into what is not delivered as what is delivered by the by the computer on a, on a screen, say. Um, and that really is a function of our own idiosyncratic, you know, our, our personal experiences, our ability to interpret what we experience, how we make sense of things, and our own consciousness, um, basically. Which is why I particularly liked Improbotic's um, performance um, uh, and why we invite them to perform for us at the Art AI Festival, because they use AI, one of the, one of the most um, sophisticated natural language processing AIs, actually, to throw lines to their performers who then have to replicate or represent that to an audience and the audience has to identify which lines are machine generated and which are human and of course you know we struggle to tell the difference even though some of the lines are clearly nonsense so what we're showing really is a live Turing test where the argument goes if we cannot tell the difference between human and machine then the, the machine might work might as well be human and you know to sort of extrapolate that point you might as well now be talking to an, an AI I could be a version of Siri, for example. Uh, so how do you know? <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, I don't think it'd be as much fun. <laughs> Maybe it would. <laughs> Maybe it would. I mean, certainly if you see Improbotics' performance, you would you would appreciate the the complexity of the technology. And I think to, to that point, really, a final um, thing worth reflecting on too is if, if AI is always about data sets, then it can probably never be truly creative in the way that we're talking about it here. It, it, it's only ever going to be remediating or remixing something from whatever the original source and context was, even though we might find that surprising and creative. So, 
you know, it's only when AI can generate its own data that we might begin to see new possibilities from it. And then, of course, the question is about what value that might have for us as humans. Um, and, and I think our problem then might well be turned on its head as we try to make sense of what machine creativity is and what machine consciousness is. And I think at that point, our tools will have become our masters to a degree. Which is the, the plot of every sci-fi film and sci-fi book. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So just just to kind of summarize then I guess what I'm thinking about is the fact that the the expo theme for this year is connecting minds creating the future but what we've been discussing here is connecting data and how it's a logical partner with creativity so how do these technological advancements in particular AI how could they help future generations make the world a better place through art the reason I love working with artists and, uh, you know, getting involved in projects such as the Art AI Festival and also the, the uh, Machinima podcast that I mentioned is because artists push the boundaries like very little else does. Um, they are genuine blue sky thinkers. And I think it's then down to the rest of the world to try and make sense of what they do and commercialize it. You know, I, th I think that's the, the, the great connection between arts and sciences and, and technology. And I think if we lose any, any of the connections there, then we've lost something as, as a society. So, yes, I think, I think um, arts and creative practice and, and however that is pushed using AIs has got a very big future for us. Absolutely. I think if we lose any of that kind of true creativity and art, then the world becomes a much less colourful place. Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 you know, I really like Marshall McLuhan's comment that art is a distant early warning system that can always be relied on to tell the old culture what is beginning to happen to it. I think it nicely situates that link between art, science and technology, kind of exemplifies why I like working with arts, even though fundamentally, I suppose, I'm a technology management researcher. I mean, a true example of that kind of cross-disciplinary individual. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I'm not, a, I'm not an artist. I am more of a, a thinker about what the future impacts of these technologies might be. And, and uh, you know, some of the time you've got to see how people respond to it in order to think about what your pathway to adoption might be. Um, you know, for, for example... I think you, well, I'll give you I'll give you a, a nice example here. Um, we put um, a, a chat box in as part of the festival this year with um, sixteen points of iconic cultural interest in the city. So, the, so for example, the King Richard III statue, um, uh, uh, the found, Lion Fountain in the Town Hall Square. Um, the Alice Hawkins statue in Green Dragon Square. We put we put a chatbot um, trained on information about each of those iconic points of interest. And we asked people to sort of have fun, discover the city in a way that they'd never interacted with it before. And of course, the immediate association was that you could ask the chatbot anything. Uh, and I had some very interesting conversations with people about why it wouldn't tell you where you could buy cheese in the city. <laughs> and, you know, I think, I think 
science fiction in many ways has done us a great disservice about what the, the capabilities are of AIs at this point in time. And, you know, I think there is definitely a role for the for communicating in novel ways what uh, AIs are and can be through the kinds of media that we, we're using, through arts, in the in the public realm. Uh, and that's really why I, you know, why we put the Art AI Festival together. Amazing. Well, thank you, Tracy. It's been so good to talk to you today to hear about the Art AI Festival. I hope that people accessing this podcast and listening to you today will certainly check that out, whether they are able to physically visit or just kind of have a search on, on the website and see what it's all about and how they can interact with it. So thank you so much for your time today and for talking to us about your work. You're very welcome. It's lovely to talk to you. And I think, yeah, just like to reflect on everything you said around transformational creativity and how art and AI can work together to kind of create these new works of art that the general public can interact with. Thanks for listening to Future Focus, the UK at Expo podcast series. Look out for more podcasts in the series or subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. And if you want to stay up to date with all things UK Pavilion, links to our social media channels can be found in the episode description.